Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unplug with Annie. Today I'm continuing the series of Ignite and I have Joel Honeywell on the show today. Joel began his career in production and then moved towards cinematography, having worked on the set of films such as The Mummy and King Arthur. Um, he began as a focus puller and now is a successful DOP. Um, having explored different areas in movie making, I think he's going to have a lot of advice to offer, which is going to be very interesting. He recently completed a Channel 4 drama called BBW, which is part of the On the Edge series, um, and that's linked to a whole bunch of other projects. He's also been commissioned for a 30-minute documentary for YouTube artist Spotlight titled Burner Boy. Um, he's doing some really great, interesting work and has also worked for commercial known brands such as Nike and Adidas and Vogue um, and also shot some very cool music videos. Uh, he definitely has a distinct style, that much I can say, and um, definitely a lot to say. So I'm looking forward to having him on the show today. Hey Joel, welcome to Unplug with Annie. Thanks for being part of this series. No problem, it's a pleasure to be involved. I know that you, I mean, the first question I usually ask on this series is when, you know, that passion has kind of formed for what you do. And I know you started really young um, and you had an interest in photography and filmmaking, but was there a specific moment for you where that was that, like that moment where you realized it was cinematography and, you know, working as a DOP is, is in being what you really wanted to do? Um so I guess like um, I should start from the beginning so yeah I, I I had a passion in photography and filmmaking from a young age um it was basically influenced from my love for like old films and um it, first it began with animation and then that led on to like me playing with old cameras and like um disposable cameras and like also my mum had her own little 35 point shoot and I would open the back and pull the film out and she's like no you've ruined it um but as I progressed and got older, my parents wanted me to do something in the field of like sciences and medical. And um, I kind of like did not want to fall down that path. I thought it was quite boring. And because I already had like, it had been identified by my um, grandparents before that I had a very like artistic lean that I should like um, cherish that and actually use that as like an advantage. So uh, my, my, my learning kind of went one way drawing arts and photography the other way was like sciences and blah 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 and all the boring stuff that came with it um, for mm -hmm. me anyway mm -hmm. um but when it came down to like selecting a university or college to, to study i kind of like just made the decision myself and lent more into my artistic side and i started playing with cameras more often started drawing more and like really started to embrace that side a bit and then i ended up at um a film school I'm studying a FDA in film production or foundation in film production and that led on to me then like exploring like set building and on-set work and so on um, and jumping forward a bit on a summer break I got my first job on a, a film set working in the art department painting like flats and like scraping off old flats and helping to like construct a, a film set over in Wimbledon Studios for TV dramas. Um, it was all right for a few summer holidays and that's how I ended up starting off in the art department. And then eventually I kind of realized that it's not actually the place I wanted to be. I wanted to be much more involved in the camera. So I would say like, um, I realized that probably like 
2010, 2011 that I wanted to switch. Mm. Um, so then I started contacting camera teams that I encountered on these jobs when I saw them come in and out of set when I was like working in the studios, like painting the floors white or green or whatever color it was and like rebuilding the, the, the flats of the, the set walls. Um, and basically like I ended up getting stuck in with one or two teams and it just then narrowed down to one team in particular that I preferred to keep working with because I felt I was learning most from them. Generally in the industry, a lot of assistants, when you start coming up, you work with multiple teams to learn as much as you can, but I kind of just stuck with one guy um, and he brought me on a nice journey and like that for me built my understanding of what I kind of want to do because I got to see a lot of um, the, the big time DOPs and camera teams and so on that he um, he was working with at the time so I could train under. Um, his name was Hopi De Mateo, so he, I'm still in contact with him now. I work with him a lot and he gets to and I get to try and hire him occasionally as my focus puller for the jobs I do now. Um, just because like it's just nice to have the guy that I learned under to stick with me yeah. still now because I, f- I feel comfortable with him and I, there's a there's a level of trust and friendship yeah. um, so I would say that's when I really really decided that I knew what I wanted to be doing from that point was then when I switched into camera department started training um, but even then I still didn't know how long it would take for me to become the DOP um, so that that jump happened about seven years later Mm. Uh, well six or seven years later after I climbed the ranks of being trainee to on set clap loader to becoming the focus puller myself and then working and then I worked on several big films um, and tv shows and so on in all those grades and then now as a DP I'm, I'm it feels like starting again almost so I'm doing music promos and shorts and commercials and now I've only just started on the cusp of moving into long form so I'm able to do my own features and tv drama uh, however then the virus then took hold and <laughs> that was my massive plans on world domination in the film industry yeah. um, and now it's all been delayed and now it's much more become a battle of survival so like I'm just taking jobs in order to survive right now um, and that's the situation we are today. Yeah. Um, but I mean, looking back, I, I, what, what does that feel like to you? Do you feel like, you know, to a certain degree when you're accelerating in this industry, it is sort of starting from scratch again? Because like you said, like you were, you were at these different positions, um, obviously in order to like, you, ha- you have this end goal, but um, every time, you know, you accelerate to a different position, it is starting from scratch from scratch within that position itself is that like a a challenge for you or is is that off-putting or are you motivated by that um I've always been a very competitive mind um if someone says you can't do something I'm like yeah fuck you I'm gonna do it excuse the language sorry (laughs) um (laughs) but just being as truthfully frank and brutally honest as possible that's how I am as a person um I don't beat around the bush with answers or like decision making like if someone says I can't do something I'm gonna work against that position like why why can't I do it why are you saying I can't do it or if there's someone saying it's gonna be hard to make the move you might as well stay with it now I'm like nah I'm gonna make the move I'd rather take the risk um it's just always been in my nature to be that sort of person like always pushing forward moving quite nomadically and like always knowing that nothing's going to hold me back so for me I was I, I think I've been quite fortunate with my progression 
because at every tier there has been someone there understanding knowing what I want to do and they're giving me the opportunity to do it because they feel like I can I've proven time and time again that I'm able to deliver on what I'm saying mm -hmm. I, I don't like I think I, if I was to be someone who was gambling a lot in life I'm pretty sure I'm I would only make decisions that I know I would win I'm that sort of person so I don't make a decision where I know I can't I can't fulfill yeah um there has to be a there's a, a level in my mind of how much percentage there is and then I know that's the mark I can do this mm. so when I stepped up from being a crack loaded focus pool I was a bit worried at first I was like am I gambling quite ridiculously here and a lot of people no one's gonna take me seriously in that position two weeks later I got a job and I was doing that job and then I was busy throughout ever since so for me like each jump was seamless there was just a small window in between of like either two to four weeks before like work picked up for me in that that new field um mm. and I've been thankful for every person who's been trusted in me to to make the, those leaps and like just let me carry on doing my job and being able to do it and then I think the scariest one was leaping from being a focus puller to a, a, a director of photography director of photography or cinematographer some like call it either one mm. um I think that it's the scariest one because you had in order to do that jump you're not jumping on the fact that you've had skills before you're jumping on the fact that people just want to see do you have a real work yeah and in order to be able to no one's going to trust someone without a real work they want to see what you've done before maybe if you're capable of making good images yes yeah um and then there's also the fear factor of the fact that if you're capable of making good images what are they going to pigeon you pigeonhole you into of what type of person you are making these images so then your identity becomes li intrinsically linked to your eye so that was one of the the processes in me at the time when I made that leap was how do I separate from being a pigeonhole and actually becoming a successful DOP and being able to successfully complete stuff whichever direction I move in um so that was difficult but I did it I proved everybody wrong that I don't have to be pigeonholed like I proved my agent proved my family proved friends that I'm not going to be a DP who only does one thing so at the start of my career a lot of people were assuming that I would be a DOP that would only work in the field of um of projects that would only feature black or brown faces and you would and because in the united kingdom there's not many dops that um of my um ethnicity of, uh, available like i would say there's like four to six there may be a few more now um that were working to a level in the, in this field uh, as opposing to like the thousand other dops who are like you know caucasian um I would already be pigeonholed from the get-go because people knew what I looked like that. Oh yeah, he, he would shoot this and I would receive several treatments about, oh, we want to shoot this black family or it's about this black boy or it's about this black kid or, you know, it's about someone giving birth to a black baby or, you know. So it's Did you think that was because of, um, of, of, of you and the work that you'd already done or how you present yourself uh, in alignment with like your identity? Or do you think it was, it was just a generalization from other people? I think people act and move on what they see. So if they feel like, oh, this project features a lot of black people, it, they immediately see we need to get a black DP involved, whether the director is white, Asian, or whatever. That's mm -hmm. how production companies like to think. Um, 
and not everyone thinks like that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not generalizing everybody, but I'm just saying like, as a, an overall consensus, a lot of production companies do that. Yeah. Um, so then you then become a small handful, a small pool, a handful of people that gets put forward in front of the director. And they go, these are the people we think you should work with for this project. Unless the director is firm enough to pick a um, DP that they want themselves on the project. Or if um, a musician or like the label or whoever makes a jump, um, a slide jump in and then say, no, you have to get someone of this um, like background involved. And I think it's very small minded and very like, you know, upsetting in the sense of people only see you for a project based on like your appearance. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to break that mold. So I then started receiving, I did a few of the jobs because obviously I needed to build a reel. Um, before that, I had my own reel of work. I shot a, a band called House and the track was called Gave You All. Gave You All. And it was a, a multicultural band of white and black people involved. So I was like, this is how I'm going to level the playing field. I'm just going to show that there's a diverse range of skin tones there. I'm going to shoot it black and white film. Mm. to make sure that we're taking the attention away from the diversity of the skins. It's much more about the space and the setting yeah. and how we portray the characters performing. Um, I liked the video. I, I shot it. Um, I had a colleague um, edit it. And then um, I did everything on my own. I loaded the film stock. I focused the camera. I operated. Um, I lit it. No, no one was there to help me. It was just me on my own with the band. Um, I was happy with the look. I made sure I paid the extra money to get the scan I wanted. So the quality was there and I could deliver the highest thing possible for my reel because at the end of the day, I'm building a reel that was, that I wanted to stand for who I am as a person and what sort of level of work I'm going to be working at for people to see. I didn't want to just go around and shoot some stuff from 5D because I thought in the long term, that's going to be too, that, that time's going to be too lengthy for me to climb the ladder. I just wanted to get in there and get stuck in. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that being able to, fund my own project and like deliver exactly how I wanted I saw it from my perspective to show what I wanted it to be for my reel that allowed my trajectory to just take an upstart shoot up like a rocket really quickly mm-hmm. so then I started getting offered um, larger projects sooner than I thought I would have ever received them so within a month I had shot three music videos at a decent caliber that all went on to win music video awards at the UK MVAs. But now fast forwarding back to this whole identity thing. Um, after shooting a, a few projects that were linked to like themes of black pain, black suffering, black joy and so on, I was like, right, I'm not doing it anymore. And I stipulated to my agent, I'm not that guy. Don't stick me in those boxes of like, oh, this is the project that's probably for you. Like if someone came to my agent and said, who on your roster would shoot this film? And the project said, oh, it's about the first black trombonist. I'm going to say no. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> you're, you're coming to me to make a project that might not be good, but like just because the theme, you think it might be good for me. It's not right. good for me. I want to know how good the script is. And I'm already that's judging it that I'm, that's approaching me based on that without even reading the script. So I don't want to do the project. I don't even want to read the script. And I made yeah. a hard stance and I made every director I worked with in the past know that I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and then I started getting approached for black and white only projects. And I was like, yeah, I may have done a lot of black and white stuff before and a lot of black and white photography projects, but I'm not going to be that DP again. You're constantly changing things up in order to like not yeah. fit in a box. Yeah. I, and because people got on with me and they wanted me on set, they then started just being a bit more risky with their approach. Like, oh, we've got this project. It's a mixed format thing. Maybe it's not for you. Yeah, I'll do it. Shot it. Looks great. Head on to the next project. So and then someone else goes, oh, I've got another mixed format thing. I'm like, not doing that again. I want to shoot only on film now. 
Right. And I, I, instant, I intentionally said no to the last project being different to being the same as the next project. That's and that's what I'm now known for as being the DP that never makes the same thing twice in a row. Well, so that, now that's great. most people completely wild things. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. But like quite your, uh, like your early experiences, even though you weren't, you weren't the DOP, you worked on some amazing features like um, The Mummy and King Arthur. What were those initial experiences like? So I think, you know, for people who are aspiring to get into the film world, um, it, it's tough to even get opportunities on big features, you know, like on, on, on proper professional projects as opposed to like student films and that kind of thing. But you had that early on. Do you think that that gave you an advantage? Yes, it did. I felt like with those projects, I was able to see how a bigger team operated and how people communicated and did their job. I also got to realise like the, the, the level and difference and responsibility, like the different tiers of work had. So like on short form, a director, everyone serving the director, absolute, like they are there to make sure like they deliver exactly what the director says. But on long form, the responsibility levels are different. Like, yeah, sure, you're serving the director's vision and you've had the conversations at the start, but down on the end of the day, like the short list that you're given, you're not, sometimes you're not even working to a short list, you're working to just pages and you're expected as a DP to light a set frame it up and deliver a look from you based on what you pitch to them as what you can what you think the script requires and then also there's the sense of as well like a lot of the time you don't even see the director sometimes they're only there for the actor and then they're sat at the monitor or they're there with the actor the entire time they're not interfering with the rest of the crew on the day because these are high caliber workers in these different positions like the DP is so experienced there's never going to be a second guess about the frame like the right. frame is the frame no one's going to say can you change it i don't like this frame or i think we need a bit more light the dp set the frame that's the end of the conversation on short form you see it seems to be much more like everyone on set is kind of like backseat driving the dp's position like oh i think it's a bit hot on his head there you should change that or i think it's a bit too dark here you should lighten the scene and the dp is like well this is the look you you've asked me to do but why is everyone now is everyone the dp all of a sudden on set right. so it's a, it's a different it's a different experience yeah but um that, that's just from what i've seen in my i'm sure like other other technicians or other people will, will speak differently but i think like there is no right or wrong way of what you're seeing and there's no right and wrong way of how you execute a job it's just like from your experience and how you know you approach and do the job is how you have to like deliver it mm. so like that level of collaboration you need to establish how much you can provide and how much you can't provide on a job um, so like figuring out how much you should be caring about a project and how much you shouldn't care about a project. And I say like, I say that in the sense of, it's not that you don't care. It's, it's, it's just knowing your boundaries, like how much of you is required right. so, to what your job role is on the day for that particular job. Mm. And on a lot of jobs I sign up to, I expect to be having a major creative input because I don't want to turn up on a day and then told exactly this is the frame. The light is coming from over there, so you need to tell your gaffer to put the light over there, and it's on a 50 mil lens. That is fucking boring. Yeah, like, you don't want to be for my position. <laughs> right. I, I'm not, I don't want to be spoon-fed, and like for me, yeah. it's like unless like your Scorsese, where you're saying where you want the frame, he's gonna let you go light the scene however you want to make sure it's right for the mood. But he's setting the frame because he knows what the frame is. I understand that level of collaboration. Like yeah. if you want to take a very deep foot in one of those sectors of what I'm doing enough but in the other sector is my domain I need to be focusing on something to be like right. involved 
and creatively supporting what you're doing because if you're taking everything you might as well do it yourself why am I here true that's how I see it so is that what you mean when you say that you you know you you don't focus so much of course you focus on technicalities but you go by the feeling when you say that are you referring to like the creative freedom that you have and 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 how you feel personally about how a script should be treated yes i think there there's some aspect to that but there's also the the thought of like trying to get the image that's in the director's head out and in there out Mm -hmm. in front of us because a lot of the time a dp is more experienced by than a director when they're working they're collaborating or, or working together because that's just how it is like a dp could shoot 300 days a year a director is probably going to do what two maybe three projects a year depending um and they that could amount to like a maximum of 90 days on set and then the rest is in post um those experiences are very important important and that obviously comes with the wealth of like technical technical ability and so on but i don't really want to be projecting that on set because for the director and for everyone else it's not really important they don't really need to know about that technical aspect they want to know the psychology and the meaning of the image we're trying to make that's pertinent and correct for the character or the scene or the audience they're experiencing at this very moment in the script. So for me, I prefer to talking like color or talking by sound or talking like, you know, the feeling or the emotion we're going with. And I think that's more truth and to what the script is requiring of us than it is by like, we need to do it this way, exactly to this millimeter lens or so on, because I feel like this will get us a really cool looking scene. It's not about whether how cool it is. It's about yeah. the bigger project overall. So like if a character is moving through, if an actor or actress is moving through a scene and they feel the character is going through a mood that is, or they've been directed to deliver a mood that is like cold and like locked in and closed, you kind of want that to reflect a bit somehow in the picture. So like the grade may be a slightly cooler in the highlights or in the midtones or the shadows respond in a certain way. Or there's a much more physical response like, it's, it's raining outdoors and the characters inside you know like those sort of mm. those sort of things need to project the, the help to the help sell the scene or maybe it's not not neither, neither of those affect that moment it's just about the actor so maybe we need to select the right lens to get involved with the actor to feel it so like a wider lens up close allows us to be there with them and feel that emotion or like if we want to make them feel isolated you use a longer lens up close just to get right in their face and see what's going on and like you can see the emotion on their face so it's either one or the other like it's just being able to describe and see what the visual language is for the audience to respond perfectly to what the scene's requiring mm. so i learned a lot of a lot of um that for and thinking from these longer form projects by just chatting with the dps i used to work for um because I feel like they're wealth of knowledge. Some DPs are much more leaning on the technical side of things. And I learned a lot from that. Some are much more about the emotion, the feeling, the psychology. And others are about the theory and the cut. Um, so I, I've taken from all those aspects to make myself of who I am as a DOP. So I'm always thinking about the cut in my head, like the next shot. But at the same time, I'm balancing that with what's the psychology going around that's going to lean into the cut for the script mm. and then the technical just comes as like second wind like riding a, riding a bike I just execute because I'm thinking about these other aspects that help bring this well-rounded world together along with the art department along with the hair and makeup along with the cast along with the director's vision to make something yeah. work 
Yeah. So that's that's the experiences I gained from working on those larger films, um, like The Mummy and, and King Arthur, and you know The Nutcracker and other things. It's just like you're able to see all the cogs come together, and like I think having those different tiers of experiences from massive long forms to the smallest art film allow you to draw upon all these different aspects and know what works for you yeah. in how you're going to execute an image. Yeah, for sure. And what is what is success to you? Because I think in this industry, it's really, um, you know, like people see overnight successes all the time, which aren't really overnight successes. You know, people have been working behind the scenes for ages and ages. It's just that they're not publicly known. You know what I mean? And you have like working actors who are in and out of jobs constantly, but you just never they never really make that big of a name for you to know about them and who they are. Um, of course, like some of your projects already have like, you know, some critical acclaim and accolades attached to them. Does that, is that sort of like, is that always like a pat on the back? Is it like, you know, the search of, or the striving to get that recognition or is success to you something, something else? Success to me is to try and get my mum to say, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> it's impossible. Like, I will show my mum stuff. She goes, oh, that looks nice and doesn't know what I've done on the project. So right. that's my, my view of what success is. Okay. And another aspect of what success is as well is like, sure, all these accolades are great. I'm not going to lie. They, they do get me excited in the moment for like the hour or two or maybe a couple of days with my friends. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie about that. That's truthful. And it's really hard to not like become uh, big headed about it all. It's like, that's a difficulty. But again, like, it's just a, it's just a bit of metal that someone's handing to you or a bit of glass going, well done. Like, it doesn't yeah. actually say, it doesn't actually prove anything. It's just, you know, it's a subjective award saying you have achieved something of greatness. And like, yeah, cool. But that's what you think. Other people may think your work is absolutely terrible. Like, it's, mm -hmm. It's, 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 that's, that's not a measure of, of success. It's just purely an ego rub by some industry professionals for you. Yeah. Um, but what I see, uh, what success actually is, is being able to complete a job, take home a wage slip and put food on your table, doing the thing you love. That's success. Yeah. It's success that you've done one job and you're able to do that. Um, to be doing that repeatedly, repeatedly is successful, well done. But like to be publicly known I don't think you need to be publicly known to be successful. So when people say, oh, you're a successful DP, for me, visually, I don't see it, but I probably am because I'm frequently working and that's good for me, my aspect. And that's an achievement to myself to be able to survive and do this job repeatedly. I must be doing something right if I'm still busy. That's, that's how I see it. Yeah. Um, so I just crack on. Yeah. Um, is, is direction something that you would be inclined towards? Um, I have attempted to direct stuff before. I feel like it is a part of the journey, and it might, it could be one day the next step. It one the next step, or it might not be the next step. I have thought about it repeatedly, mm -hmm. but I feel like that's still a long way off. I feel like yeah. every single filmmaker, actor, whoever. In fact, when I say that, I don't mean to separate it because we're all filmmakers if we work in a film project. Like, yeah. no matter the position you are, whether in front or behind, I feel like every single individual has a story to be told. Mm -hmm. or has a story somewhere that there's a sight in their mind that they want to tell, but they just can't do it. Or maybe they just are not brave enough to do it. And I feel like anyone can be a director. 
and people who say you can't not anyone can be a director is just it's a fallacy because they're just saying it to defend themselves or like you know protect their job or their fear of like someone being better than them it's not about that i feel like anyone can tell a story and return to their old role one day whether they want choose to or not because like we're all storytellers. That's why we got into filmmaking in the first place. It's not because we got into filmmaking, oh, I have an innate love for like makeup. No, you're doing that job because you're good at it and you love it. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. you originally thought about filmmaking because you had a story to tell. Everybody did. Like we idolized people in those roles and we were like, I want to be a film, I want to be a person doing this role one day. I want to be a superhero. I want to be a, a romantic. I want to be this, because we all have a story in there that we were, we were trying to project. And maybe right. whether or not we're living it now or not is just a, a small bit part. But yeah, maybe one day, like 10 years time, I might direct something, thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. what, if there's any advice that you had to give to you know people who were aspiring specifically to work to do the job that you're doing you know to, to be a director of photography um, and you know they were curious to know what those initial steps should be you know on a practical level you know who should who should I be approaching um, what kind of training should I be you know partaking in what kind of advice would you give to them to become a director of photography, sorry, did yes, you say? Yes, yes, yeah. Okay. So if if someone's trying to become a director of photography, if you, if you, I'm going to put in the terms of like, if you have no prior set experience, try mm. and get some set experience, no matter how big or small it is, like you should learn what other people are doing on set. You should see how they're behaving and how they're executing their jobs in order to work around you and for you to work around them. Um, it's also good to learn the on-set lingo because it also increases speed. Um, so like maybe getting some, a few jobs on set as a runner and watching how these departments communicate will help inform how that will work. And you can probably go around asking questions and seeing what they're doing. Um, then the next step is try and get into a department related to that job so you can get some experience in the roles below a director of photography so you know how you should be running a team by doing the jobs below and you could all so like you don't have to be a focus puller to become a director of photography you don't need to do the full tier jump but maybe getting on set as a camera trainee is enough to learn what people in your department in your future department are going to be doing for you so that when you're leading you know what's required from you for them or from them for you yeah at the end of the day like your team is serving you for you to serve the director and the rest of the production so like if you're jumping head deep straight away into a, of a director of photography and you don't know how to communicate with your team they're not going to support you in any way mm. they're just going to mutiny because like you need to know when to explain to a focus puller where you need the focus to be in the scene you need to be able to inform them what lenses you're using and what focal length you require you need to have some sort of grasp of the camera you're using and how it behaves. You need to understand that your, your load is taking notes for your scenes and what information you need to give them so that if you have to pick up a scene, you can repeat the process exactly and match shots and so on. Like every, everyone working for you has a job to do that's to help you do your job better. Yeah. So like I would say some onset experience learning what these roles are doing will help you. And now yeah. the image making side of things to become a director of photography practice stills photography that's a big part of it because mm -hmm. they go hand in hand motion and stills like knowing how to develop or make or shoot or capture an image like 
composition, practice, practice it every day. Learn what lighting is doing. Learn about what the subject in front of your camera is doing. Learn about the human body. Knowing the tolls of what the human body can go through also adds to the whole image making process. So like handheld work, that's gonna have a toll on your body physically. Like it's gonna affect your spine, your muscular activity, the type of food you're eating is also going to respond to how you're going to be performing on the day. So don't eat stodgy foods and stuff like that. Health and safety, like exercise are key to like keeping up your stamina and strength to be able to hold whether a heavy camera or a low weight camera for a period of time or how it's going to behave in your hands. Um, learning the human body in the aspect of like knowing what the actor does in front of you. So like knowing when someone's going to move. Knowing when like someone stands up, sometimes they lean back or they lean forward before they stand up. They don't just immediately rise. So you need to be ready to dip the camera and then come up with them, you know? Like yeah. knowing how to keep the camera stable when you're following an actor, so moving in step with them. So if they're walking with their right foot first, you walk with your right foot first. So the camera and their step matches. So the camera is keeping them locked and not going the wrong direction and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like learning blocking. There's a lot of factors to it. It's like, I would say, get a book like um the american cinematographers cinematographers manual there's a lot of information on the technical side of cameras and lenses there and there's also a lot of information on filters and lighting and others other set stuff that's related but that's pertinent to what you're doing as your job um it also touches a bit on some of like you know the, the psychological bit and the things you should be doing and so on like and some set etiquettes then there's other books as well that focus much more on scripting, writing, breakdowns and so on. But I think the biggest thing is, is just having a conversation with other DUPs. Yeah. Like, talking to them about what do they do? How would you challenge this situation? Like, um, some DOPs love to share information and love having those conversations because it's their passion. There's other DOPs who don't like to do it because, you know, they're competitive. But that's just how it is. It's just yeah. ask questions, go to talks. Yeah. Um, but in regards to training, just try basically practice as much as you can. Get into contact, yeah, contact a, um, a camera rental house and ask them, like, can you come in and like learn the like have a look at a new camera system and practice on it and have a play under their supervision, so they show you how how it works. Mm. Maybe like call up a, a lighting company and say, can I borrow a few lights to do a test at the camera rental? Pay a small fee and they'll transport it over for you. Maybe the camera rental might have some lights in there for you to learn how they behave. And, um, you know, that just practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think I think it's, it's really nice how you've gone into a lot of detail about the different aspects because um, it just reminded me of the fact that, um, you know, especially with film, it all looks very glamorous at the end and everyone wants to be part of that world. But it's, it's kind of like asking yourself, are you prepared to to do to do the things and, and, and complete the steps you need to do to actually get anywhere near there and do that day in, day out? It, it really has to be a passion ultimately, right? Um, mm. So I, it's nice that you, you went into that detail. But Thank you for sharing just a little bit about your journey. Um, that was, it was really nice to hear about the work that you've done and um, a little bit about your journey so far. I'm sure there's lots and lots of stuff in store. No worries, it was a pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for getting me involved. That was the end of an episode on the series of Ignite. I hope you continue to tune in every Sunday for a brand new episode with a brand new guest. This series is super close to my heart. Um, 
being with fellow creatives so I really hope you enjoy it stay updated with everything Unplug with Annie on the website of course and the IG page and Facebook page Unplug with Annie